Welcome to How We Run, the podcast about nonprofit success. I'm Trent Stamp, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lacatur, and I help nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, and digital media. This episode is dedicated to anyone whose board has suggested they open a thrift store in order to raise money. That's right, we're talking about social enterprises and discovering when and if they are right for your organization. Our guest today is Vivian Lee from Rediff, an organization that invests in social enterprises. Trent, good to have you back. It's a pleasure, Julie. Good to see you. Uh, nice to see you. Um, today we're talking about social enterprises, and I feel like that term gets slapped on everything these days. Yeah, I think that every nonprofit is chasing social enterprise in the same way that 10 years ago, every nonprofit chased golf tournaments, that it's 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 just the panacea for we're not raising enough money around here. We need social enterprise. Yes. And no one really knows what that means. That's so in your understanding, how what, what does it mean to you? Generally, I think it's it's a relatively simple concept. It's deriving income from something other than the traditional nonprofit sources, something other than asking people for money, selling something, whether it's a service or a product, um, but deriving income from something other than what you would normally do when trying to raise money for a nonprofit. That's great. Yeah, we have Vivian Lee from Rediff um, in today to talk to us about all the things you should be thinking about before starting a social enterprise. And that's that's great to hear from her. And they, I was really happy to find out they have a whole resource guide on that, that it seems like more people should check out before they start wading into this conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's like everything else. You'd like that people didn't think that there was a free lunch and that they just wander in and get rich. Um, you know, it seems to me that there are about four charities in the country that are making money from social enterprise. Um, and the vast majority are losing money and wasting time um, and not telling their tale in a way that they should be focusing on. Um, but everybody's looking for that, you know, that magic pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And they think, you know, every board member who isn't actually calling their friends and asking for money thinks, oh, we should be selling salsa um, or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. um, who do you think is doing a good job with social enterprise? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, we, you know, we um, at the Eisner Foundation are funders of 826LA, um, which has done a nice job with their time travel mart in the front of their um, of, of their tutoring center. Um, and they sell, you know, products from the future, um, products from the, uh, from the past. Um, it's cute. It's quaint. Um, and they make a little bit of money. Um, but they'll tell you that it's, you know, it it's a lot of effort um, to make a little bit of money. Um, they net a little bit of money. Um, but I think a lot of nonprofits are um, grossing a little bit of money and then absorbing the costs on their regular operations side and not realizing that uh, they're not even coming close to uh, breaking even. Yeah, I think there's a good argument to be made for some organizations that do more job training stuff that maybe they will break even on their social enterprise because the value they get from the training is so important. Have you heard that argument? Yeah, sure. And that's, and, but that's important, I think, to differentiate in the sense that, um, it's part of their product. It's part of what they're trying to do. It's part of their mission. Um, and, you know, increasing the quality of the workforce, educating folks, um, providing those types of consulting services. Um, you know, it's almost kind of impact investing in some way on the programmatic side. So it's okay. Um, at that point, but the idea that you're going to create, you know, 
a, a widget of some sort that's going to be um, a better seller once you get past the novelty factor than people who do this for a living, who have all the market resource, um, market research and resources, um, is I think oftentimes a little naive. And to your point before, I hear let's start a social enterprise or like let's sell our services coming up at board meetings as a fundraising idea. And I've yet to see it play out and be successful. No, it, it just doesn't have, I mean, you know, why would it work is the question that you have to ask you, you know, there are an awful lot of people who don't make money in the for-profit world who are trying to provide those services. So what is it about your nonprofit that makes you uniquely qualified to, for some reason, um, make money on whatever product or service it is that you're providing? You have to ask yourself those questions, look in the mirror and say, I am going to have to divert resources here. Um, whether it's people, whether it's, you know, time, whether it's your know, location, um, real estate, you know, just the talent of my board, I'm going to divert resources. So the obvious question is, what's the payoff once I make that decision? And for a lot of nonprofits, I just don't think they're asking those hard questions. The work you have to do in business development is more than the work you have to do not more than, but like in addition to the work you'd have to do with fundraising. I think people underestimate how hard it is to get sales, especially those initial sales. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I just think that, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be the guy who always shows up and throws a wet blanket on every nonprofit's idea. Um, but that is in some ways the role I play because I've been seeing this for 30 years. I've been watching nonprofits who through their own reasons, usually a board member who thinks that they're smarter than anybody else in the nonprofit sector um, shows up and says, we will do this and it will be easy and we will do it better than anyone else. And the money will come flying in. Right. Um, and in reality, those are just few and far between. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of stay in your lane. Do what you do and do it better than anyone else. And so if you're going to change lanes in some way, ask yourself, why am I going to be better off in that lane than the people who are already there? If you have a good, compelling answer, fine, go for it. Put the turn signal on and go. But if you don't have the answer to that and you just think that's a different lane, the odds are that you're going to end up coming back to yours having wasted a ton of resources. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. I think And that wasting resources in terms of employee time spent on it. Um, I don't think we do a good job of accounting for that a lot of time to say how much time because they'll say like, oh, we're doing that anyway. And let's just start selling it. Um, I've seen a couple of organizations try to um, parlay their really great events team into kind of event planning for other people. Um, and, and it just doesn't it just doesn't work as much because I think it, it diverts attention from the mission at hand. People rarely hire new people when they try to go down this route of creating social enterprise. They think, as you just said, that we're already doing this or people can do that and it won't add any, you know, anything to their work day. Um, you know, the, the premise of that is that people are um, underworked right now. And I know very few nonprofits, very few effective nonprofits where the employees are underworked right now. They have plenty to do as it currently constructs. Um, and so telling them, go ahead and add on this for-profit social enterprise to what you're already doing. In the long run, I think you burn people out. I think you overburden people. Um, and you're switching to something that you may not necessarily be that good at. Yeah. So I just, you know, beware. Uh, and I guess on the um, on the subject of being a wet blanket, I have some straight no's that I will always 
always refuse. I don't care how good the case you're making to me is, but it's a it's usually selling T-shirts. Yep. I just cannot. The amount of just <laughs> anything with sizes, like please don't. Like, it just always it just never works out to be a profitable business. I've seen people try to sell those um, live strong the rubber band bracelets. Well, because they websites. made they made a bazillion dollars yes. on their live strong bracelets. Yes. No one else has made four dollars. Right. <laughs> so it, it, rather than just tip your hat to live strong and say, wow, you got there first. Yeah. You did it better. And and just move on. People thought, oh, well, we'll just make blue bracelets or green bracelets or rainbow bracelets. Um, and then, you know, every time I go on a site visit, someone tries to give me a bracelet because really? sure, because they've got them in droves because in the end, nobody buys the bracelets. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't think people were still giving those out. That's... They'll give you one. Yeah. No one's going to sell it to me for three dollars. How many like if I challenged you to get a bunch of rubber band bracelets in a week, how many do you think you could get your hands on? I could fill your arms. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Oh, I am so excited you are here today. Thank you. I'm uh, excited too. It's my first podcast. Oh, excellent. You Ooh. want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, my name's Vivian Lee. I work for Rediff. Um, we work with social enterprises and I'm helping oversee our Rediff workshop platform, which is a learning and connection platform, as well as I'm also a consultant on my other side, um, my other time and working with nonprofits, philanthropy, government, um, anywhere in the social impact space. We're talking today really about social enterprises and I feel like that has come to mean so many different things. What is a social enterprise? What does, it, what does that mean to you? It's true. I think it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think that's okay. I think that's just kind of where the space is. Um, I think to me, like the core of what a social enterprise is, is that there is some sort of revenue generation so that they are actually out there in the market earning money and generating revenue, but with a, having a purpose um, in mind and a mission focus in in where why they're doing that mm -hmm. business. So those two, I think, are the key traits that I think of as a social enterprise. But then within that, you can get into more details of specific social enterprises. You can have, you know, a B Corp, which is could be a social enterprise. You could have a big company like Patagonia be a social enterprise or Tom Shoes, um, or you can have Homeboy Industries here locally in LA or Chrysalis that are employment social enterprises and have a focus of hiring um, and creating job opportunities and job pathways for folks through their business. Yeah, I think that's a really good breakdown, um, like opportunity, employment, um, and then business. Environmental good. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also, I think, a, a section of social enterprise that's really about creating products that are transformative for people. Um, so like you see a lot of that with the like soap leaves. Have you seen this? Mm -mm. So it was a soap company. I want to say it was Ivory or was trying to in India do down market product. So it was how do you get more soap in hands of people? Because like that cleanliness can yeah. uh, curb the spread of disease. And so rather than selling bars of soap, they just did soap leaves. So they were just like oh. little pieces of paper with soap on it. Yeah. And it turned out to be a product that had a social benefit and also sold very well. Yeah. Um, do you see much of that? I mean, I think that happens. I think 
that's why this term social enterprise is so broad. So you could have a product where the intention of the product is to help, you know, a community or a specific population or um, specific folks that really may not have access to that product. And this is a product that gives them, as a result of this product, gives them opportunities to have a better livelihood. So that could be it. Or you have ones that um, give back and they're considered social enterprise too, right? That by purchasing um, a product that they will then donate a product to a community need or, you know, families in need. Um, And that's considered social enterprise as well. So yeah, I think it's still part of the broader definition of social enterprise. And then in your work with Rediff, where are you focusing? We're focused on employment at Rediff. So it's primarily focused on nonprofits as well as for-profits, but really those that have a mission of hiring um, people who face barriers. So these could be individuals who have experienced incarceration, people who have experienced homelessness, young people who are out of school and out of work and who've really not been in the workforce and can't get a job if not for a social enterprise job. And so this is really their first step back into the workforce through a social enterprise job. That's great. Of the um, portfolio of organizations you work with, do you have a couple of favorites or a couple of really great examples you want to share? I can't say they're favorites. They're all favorites. I think, you know, (laughs) they all are unique and doing great things in their own way. Um, But I think it's just different approaches in how they do it, right? You could have ones that are actually creating product, right? Where we have social enterprises that create dog food, pet foods, or we have social enterprises that create soap or create um, cutting boards. um, And we have others that are doing services. And so, you know, for example, when I said Chrysalis, they're the ones who are out there um, managing our business improvement districts and keeping our downtown LA city clean um, through their um, through their enterprise job. So it could be from painting services. It kind of really runs the gamut. And I think what's unique about it, and I think why I was excited about it, is that you know I think my background has been in community development, but more so in economic development. And what's neat is that these are small businesses. There's so much variety, right? There's so much different ways. It's a challenge in itself because of that, but it also creates so much different types of opportunity that you know, has its uniqueness um, that and each kind of has their own twist of a model and how they approach it. And you've been very involved with some e-waste recyclers as well. I feel like that's been a whole market. Yeah. So one of them that used to be Isidore Electronic Recycling was acquired by Homeboy Industries. And so now they are Homeboy Recycling. So that's an example of one. Um, But yeah, across the country, there have been social enterprises that uh, have been started that focus on electronic waste recycling. And I think that's a really unique example to show that there's an environmental impact as well as a social, you know, impact that affects the person through high but also impacts the environment as well. Is what you're seeing more businesses being social enterprises or nonprofits starting social enterprises? You know, I think because the world I've been around has been more nonprofits starting it, that's where I'm more uh, attuned to. But I actually think it's happening throughout the businesses. I think, honestly, if, you know, the impact that we want to have and, you know, how we're going to change things, it's how business is going to change and how business is going to do things differently, right? So, you know, it can be where one aspect of a business and how they they alter it to do some good, whether it's a hiring practice or whether it's, you know, having a more sustainable supply chain or those kinds of things. To me, I think that's still a social impact. So, um, 
I think the term and these ideas are coming um, surfacing more and becoming more known. It's still a term, though, that is still somewhat obscure. And people are like, wait, what's that? I'm like, wait, what does that mean? So it's still one of those things where you still have to define it and you still have to explain it. But I think aspects of it are starting to, to surface and getting um, integrated into kind of more mainstream approaches. And I think that's exciting. So I'm not sure they're all potentially using the term social enterprise. So we may not know in that way, but um, I think elements of it are already happening. Um, so let's talk about nonprofits starting social enterprises. I think I hear, let's start a social enterprise sometimes as a fundraising idea. Is that a good idea? Is this the best fundraising idea? I think people really should think about what it means to start a social enterprise because I mean, running a nonprofit is already running a business, right? It's just that if you're starting a social enterprise, you're now finding a different revenue stream. So it's not just grants, um, but you're also looking to actually, you know, produce or provide something that the market wants. And so if you're thinking as a nonprofit, oh, I want to start a social enterprise, it's hard. I mean, if we think about just running a business and what it means to start up a business and how many startups fail within the first three years. And so you're doing that with also having a mission focus to it as well. And I think one of the challenges nonprofits face is the that tension between what we call mission versus margin. So we need revenue in order to support it. But if we were really operating like a business, we would probably cut things so that we could operate so efficiently, but then we lose the impact that we're trying to have. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some of the questions that need to be answered as to, is this the best approach? What are we trying to do? What's the impact we're trying to have? And where's the best opportunity that we can actually you know, raise the resources or generate the revenue and to, to be able to support it? Yeah. So let's talk about when is a nonprofit in a good position to start a social enterprise in your mind? I think they really have to think about what is the impact that they are trying to have. And from that impact, um, you know, what ways can they do it? I'll give you an example. So one of the organizations who is also part of Red F as well as I um, had uh, the opportunity to serve on their board, Coalition for Responsible Community Development. So they started their social enterprise because they found that they were focused on youth in South LA and they were helping them um, build their job skills as well as, you know, get back into the workforce through jobs. But what they found was that their youth were having a really hard time actually finding jobs. And so they found the need that they needed to actually create jobs to give the youth experience so that they could then be able to be much more employable than just straight from training programs. So as a result, that was their impetus to start a social enterprise. And that was kind of their purpose. What was nice was that they already had work experience type contracts that they were already doing as part of their programming. So this was a nice way to facilitate a social enterprise, meaning that they kind of had the infrastructure already and were already kind of testing it. It's just that they didn't really scale it or didn't really pursue it to see could they get more contracts and more opportunities to employ and do it under the arm of an enterprise entity. And that's where they raised funding. They put together a business plan. They did the kind of R&D to figure that out and they piloted and tested and got support and has since then been able to really grow their enterprise and create that that opportunity. But it was really within a need that they found that there was a lack of available jobs for the youth in their community. So Yeah, and tell me uh with the CRCD example, what kind of jobs are these for the for the kids? So their jobs have been um 
painting jobs. Uh, so they're doing painting. They've actually now gotten into contracting work as well. Um, they've been doing construction um, and they do graffiti abatement um, work as well. That's great. And I think the key there was that they found an empl- they, they found a need with the people they served, which they need work experience. But then they also found a product that it was okay to get your first experience on the job. So it wasn't like they were opening, you know, an accounting firm. Yeah, they were doing a service that they were already doing and had experience doing. And so they were able to expand on that and grow on that and build upon that. I mean, they've definitely entered into new areas of it, but, you know, it's built from a base of having some experience in that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like, and I don't know what the financial situation of that business is, but I've heard from some, especially in the um, employment opportunity area, that once you start one of those, you actually have a little gap to make up before it's really profitable because it costs you a little bit more to run this business than a traditional. Well, I think it's one of the things where we talk about what we call social costs. And so we're hoping that a business you know, has the opportunity where the revenue that it's generated can cover the business costs. But as we said, right, if we're talking about employment as, as an example, you're talking about you know, individuals who have faced barriers and probably aren't job ready right when you get them, right? And so they require some support. They require maybe some stabilization on housing or they require help with um, transportation or daycare needs or other needs that will help them be a good employee. Um, And I think the other part is that you know, oftentimes you're employing more people than your business sometimes needs. And that's that mission versus margin. So kind of to your point, you know, if, if your business um, operating, if you can cover your business costs, you're doing really well, and you still may need to fundraise for your social costs. And that part, you still may have to write grants and get subsidized funding in order to cover that. And I think the really smart way of looking at that that I've heard is that you have to change your perspective on how you're looking at it. It's not a business that loses money, but rather a deep, deep discount on an employment program. Yeah, because if you think about it, for most nonprofits out there, you're all trying to be able to um, raise funds from a limited pool, right? And so if you're all dipping into that same pool, there's only so much that can go around. So through a social enterprise model, you're widening that pool and you're jumping into other pools that where there's other resources that can still help your program or be able to support your program in a different way, but through a contract or through, you know, some way that someone's paying for that fee for service versus just giving a charitable contribution. Are there any commonalities between those that you see um, fail or that are unsuccessful? I have to think about failures. Because I feel like what I see is that a lot of nonprofits are trying to replicate Goodwill's business model, right? So they're like, let's open a thrift store or let's just But thrift do stores this. are pretty prominent. We did a scan of social enterprises like across the country and there's a fair amount of thrift stores that are actually doing okay. And That's it's, great. it's one that is fairly easy to start and, you know, be able to get up and running without a lot of additional costs. Awesome. Um, well, that's good. I mean, I think the where I've seen people fall down on it is that it's not just like have the idea and it runs itself. You know, that like if you yeah. start a business, it just works. I think the amount of impact that you want to have, right? So like, for example, you could start a cafe. Cafes mm-hmm. are very prominent too. Everyone starts a cafe. But if you're focusing in on employment, how many people could you actually really hire? 
three. maybe threes to start. Maybe if you're really, really like strong 10, but you're going to be limited, right? And and for the work of what it means to run that cafe, you know, serving 10 people, is that enough impact? That right. And there's probably more efficient ways. There of- could be. And so I think scaling social enterprise is hard. I think we have only a handful that really have grown and been able to expand and scale to a certain level. I think most are very localized and probably smaller and majority are relatively young. Um, you know, a lot have started just recently since starting in 2010, I think. Um, so there's a lot of social entrepreneurs that are interested in starting this, but I think it's like small business, right? Like we need to grow more of them, um, but we also need to get them so that they can be sustainable and that they can operate efficiently and effectively. Um, and what does that take without still losing the social mission? But I think the hard part is that also for those that are getting into it, you know, it is a little bit different running a business than it is running a nonprofit, right? Mm-hmm. Even though a nonprofit is a business, I don't dispute that. But depending on the industry you're going into, depending on that, do you have that expertise? Do you understand what it means? Do you understand, you know, all the compliance, all the operational needs, um, how to market your business, how to be able to generate um, contracts and sales and so forth? And how do you get the connections to do that too? While also being able to, to manage a workforce that is probably not, you know, up and running and that you can just easily be able to to direct and say, okay, there you go, get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're coming in with less experience. Yes, for sure. Um, do you see any commonalities with social enterprises that are able to scale? I think the ones that are able to scale have actually been operating for a fairly long time and they've really then perfected their model and they really understand what works and they really have strong operating efficiencies and and have um, a process and a, a foundation in which to build on. And then what really does happen is that they get courted, a lot of them, that you know other municipalities or other entities or funders are really interested in having that come to their community. And so as a result, that's how sometimes expansion does happen is because people are interested in that model and having it replicated and being able to be scaled. Yeah. Can you give me an example of one that had kind of got courted into new cities? Chrysalis is one example in which they've now expanded to Orange County. And there was a lot of interest from Orange County to have them come down um, and be able to uh, set up, you know, an enterprise um, system in that way as well. So uh, I think, I, can't, I just don't know the details. Like yeah, another yeah. one would be like Center for Employment Opportunities. They started in New York. They're now in California. They're in Oklahoma. Oh, nice. Um, I feel like there was a lot of interest too around like Opportunity Fund and Grameen, but I don't know if they've expanded. See, I guess in the sense of like Opportunity Fund and Grameen, they have, well, Grameen has expanded. I mean, sure. they're like national for sure. Um, Opportunity Fund, I think what's unique about Opportunity Fund is that their partnership with um, FinTech. Yeah. And so that's a way that they've been able to expand their market um, size and share is by partnering with FinTech and being able to provide, you know, access to their product um, through partnerships. Are there any other things that I should ask you that I haven't asked you? I think it's one of those things where... The challenge right now, as I see it, is how do we get more people to know about it and to kind of think differently in the sense of as a consumer or even as a 
um, procure of goods and services, right? Either I procure through my company or through um, government or so forth versus even an individual consumer. How do we, how do we get and build that momentum that, you know, social enterprise becomes a more normalized and, you know, mainstream way of how goods and products are developed and bought and sold. Well, it sounds like you're asking, how do you make it a perf- like a preference of for the consumer? How does it become mainstream that it's no longer identified separate? Like, is it a certification? Like, for example, B Corps now, right? They've really been able to certify, and they only work with for-profits, and mm-hmm. you have to be a for-profit. Has that really spun out now that, Yes, it matters that I have that B Corps certification and therefore I want that good or service. And I think a challenge we find is that no matter with that mission, it's still about the product or service first. And if you can't do the product or service well, the mission is secondary. You know, I think these are some of the challenges social entrepreneurs face is that, you know, you have such a big heart, but you still also have to perfect and be able to run that business so well. Part of it is just for me thinking about this, um, because I also am part of the Social Enterprise Alliance Board. And one of the things that we've been talking about is how do we get more people aware? How do we get more products into the market? How do we do that through marketplaces online virtually as well as, you know, pop-ups and ways that can connect with communities um, and individuals and that people get to realize, hey, this is a great product, but it also even has a social impact. I get a twofer, right? Mm-hmm. And as things that we're talking about right now become mainstream, like, oh, yeah, I just bought this. This is great. And, you know, it's a social enterprise and it's just normal that, yeah, we totally buy our products and services from it. So, right. Well, it I, reminds me of like the market for re- like goods that have been recycled or like second second goods, like maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. Like how do you get consumers to prefer something that is can be recycled or ha- is made of recycled materials? Yeah. I think so. And maybe it's just thinking about that it becomes not how we're defining it now, but social enterprise maybe evolves into just having some type of awareness in how you operate your business. And that becomes the new norm, that that's how it becomes normalized. And it's not necessarily that we have all these new social enterprises, but the the way social enterprises work and the, what they do becomes an element that becomes normalized in every business. How would you suggest a nonprofit that wanted to start a social enterprise? What would be the steps you would suggest to evaluating if it's good for them? You already touched upon being clear about your impact, but what else should they look at? Well, if I can plug, yeah, so please. if you're focused on an employment social enterprise specifically, uh, Red F has a platform called Red F Workshop. And through Red F Workshop, there's learning guides. There's also a whole tool suite that walks you through building a business plan. So that is a great way to, you know, kind of assess and it walks you through the questions to ask you as you're thinking about why are you doing this? What are you doing here? What is this? And, and really looking at the social as well as the financial piece of it. It, your market and so forth that you really actually walk away with like a mini business plan to really move forward. Oh, that's awesome. And um, that's free and anyone can free and anyone it. can join. You Great. just need to sign up. Awesome. And become Great a member. Plug. <laughs> but honestly, I would actually start by talking to other social enterprises that you're interested in and connecting and figuring out what it takes and what does that mean and learning from others. I think that's the first best step is to really, you know, 
learn and connect with others who have done it or are doing it and really understand what it takes and what it means and what they're, you know, potentially diving into. I would say that would be the first step. That's great advice and an awesome plug. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of this course, was fun. Anytime. I always enjoy talking with you. I want you to come back every show. <laughs> That's all for today's episode of How We Run. Please check out goodwaysinc.com to find past episodes of this podcast and other tips about working in nonprofit. If you have any questions you want me to ask a funder on this podcast, you can tweet me at goodwaysinc. Please subscribe to How We Run on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. I'm Julie Lacature, and we'll see you next week for another new episode.